Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. So at this time, I'm going to give you the message that the Lord laid on my heart. I wanted to do number three on living to please God. But I was told not to. (laughs) So I'd rather do what God wants me to do. Amen. And this is going to dovetail just with what she taught on because the Lord showed me that there are others that are facing life-threatening situations and they need to hear this message. And so... We're going to do it. Praise. Anybody need to copy the notes? Raise your hand. Up here in the front on my right. Your left over there. Anywhere else. Thank God his words are life to us and health to all of our flesh. Amen. Let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We're talking about fighting to change our destiny. Fighting to change our destiny this morning. And uh, before I get into uh, everything, I just want to read to you a report that I used in my healing class. And some of you have heard this already, but we're going to, it bears repetition. As a person ages, it is to be expected that he or she will encounter medical challenges. Anybody know that when you're getting a little bit more mature in life? Okay. It is part of the aging process. Lymph node cancer might be one of those challenges that you encounter in your life's journey. This is a professional statement here. How soundly these challenges are defeated depends greatly on how you approach them. A fighting spirit has been proven time and again to be a powerful weapon to have in your arsenal when battling cancers of all types. Accepting defeat in any challenge almost guarantees defeat. The will to fight and live on has carried so many cancer survivors to victory over the disease. So that's the statement I want to use. In our introduction, there's a difference between destination and destiny. Destination is the goal of the journey. Destiny is the trip along the way. In the beginning, God just couldn't put Adam and Eve in their final destination because he had to give them time to determine whether or not they would be obedient during the trip along the way. And why? Because he knew that there's more than one final destination. He knew there were two. As a matter of fact, if you find in the book of Deuteronomy, and notice in chapter 30, verses 15, and then 19 and 20, see, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil. Life and good, death and evil. So, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, notice what he says, choose life, that both you and your seed may live, that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice and that you may cleave to him for he is your life and the length of your days that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob to give them. So not only does he begin with Adam and Eve and says, look, there's one, there's not just one final destination, but two. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch it lest you die. So you could say, One final destination is eternal separation from God and eternal suffering. And that's the road of death, evil, and cursing. But on the other hand, as he told the Israelites, you know, you've got a choice to make. And that choice is this. 
You can have that, that road that leads to eternal separation and destruction, or you could have life, good, and blessing. You see, it's up to you. And let's remember this. Hell was not created by God for man. Hell was prepared for Satan and his angels. Remember that statement that Jesus made? It wasn't created when he made man. It was prepared for Satan, Lucifer, when he fell and the angels that followed him. So, here's the scenario. Adam, through his disobedience, opened up the door to everything that is evil. All suffering, sickness, disease, mental anguish, all came by the fall, the curse, and all that. And, and God even said that to Adam. It's your fault that the ground is cursed. Eve, it's your fault that you bear pain and childbearing, and so on. But then on the other hand, there's another person named Jesus who's also called the second Adam. And the second Adam, through his obedience, opened the door to life, to good, and to blessing. And so you see, it's up to us as an individual to choose what path we want to walk on. Now, in the book of Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12 through 21, this is the Apostle Paul by revelation through Jesus Christ, giving to us the understanding of what I just shared with you up to this point. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, what's his name? Adam, and death by sin. And so, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Thank God. For if through the offense of one many be dead, that's Adam, but much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses to justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more... Glory to God. Much more, they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. How? By one, Jesus Christ. Well, who do you want? The first Adam or the second Adam? Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, so we know that what is sin in the eyes of God. But where sin abounded... Thank God, grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned to death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So we can see the scenario played out. Yes, Adam brought into this world death, sickness, disease, the curse, and evil, everything that is evil. But thanks be to God who loved us so much he wouldn't leave us that way. And through Jesus Christ, his son, he came in and by his obedience he brought life. Hallelujah. Blessing, good, all that is righteous and all that is right in the sight of God. Now, God is not responsible for the suffering and the evil that we experience in this world. Many blame Him, but it's not Him. No, we suffer evil and sickness and disease and all that's from the kingdom of darkness because Lucifer made a decision to act apart from God's will for his existence. Adam chose to follow Him. And as a result of Adam following him, he opened up the door in this realm to all that is evil, all that creates suffering, sickness, disease, and all that. Look at this verse of scripture. Commit it to your heart. Psalm 115, verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, are whose? The Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. Wait, did I read that right? The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth is man's? Yes. In the very beginning, when he made man, he gave him his first birthday present. Anybody here remember your first birthday present? I don't. I was too young. I was only one. Anybody here remember yours? Was it a binky? I don't remember. How about this one? Adam 
was given the earth. Let me say that again. Your dad might be wealthy, but he can't give you the earth. He said, you be my under ruler. You rule over the earth, subdue it. And I give you dominion over all the works of my hands. It all belongs to you, Adam. Wonderful until Adam rebelled against God. And in his rebellion, he turned it all over to whom? The devil who became, according to Jesus, the God of this world. And when he did that, he invited the kingdom of darkness into this realm of life in which we live. And he brought into this realm in which we live all sin, sickness, disease, and death, and so on and so forth. Every thing that we encounter that is evil in this life, that's where it comes from. And here's the sad scenario. When you and I were born, we weren't on the right path. We weren't on the right road. We were born on the road to destruction. Now that sounds doom, like doom and gloom, doesn't it? But I got better news for you. Your faith can change your destiny. My faith can change my destiny. Priscilla, your faith can change your destiny. It has changed your destiny. Amen. Now we're going to talk about that. But first, let me show you some examples. Blind Bartimaeus. Anybody know him? Mark's Gospel. Let's pull it up. Chapter 10, 46 through 51. They came to Jericho, and as they went out to Jericho, his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the high wayside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more, great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered, said unto him, What will that I should do unto you? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And what happened? He said, According to your faith, be it unto you. And he was completely healed and he received his sight, right? Okay. His destiny was chosen by circumstance. Whether he was born blind, I'm not sure, could have been. Or became blind by a disease, I'm not sure, but could have been. But his destiny was chosen by circumstance. But his destiny was changed by his faith. Think about that for a moment. His faith changed his destiny. See, he refused to allow the destiny thieves to stop him from changing his destiny. Who are the destiny thieves? The professionals that say a blind man will never be able to see. It's not possible. Worst case scenario, it's the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. You know why? Because the scribes and the Pharisees at that time, they viewed you if you were a beggar on the side of the road and you were blind. It meant you're under the judgment of God. You're an outcast. God doesn't care about you. He's not concerned about you. And this is your lot in life because maybe your parents sin, maybe you sin, or for whatever the reason might be, you're just a nobody pushed off to the side of the road. So just go ahead and keep on begging. No wonder they said when he cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. No wonder he cried out all the more. But they cried that out and said, Be silent, don't talk, don't say that. Because you're a nobody, you're an outcast. Forget you, God's not concerned about you. He cried out all the louder. Thou son of David. Let me tell you something. He may have been blind physically, but he was not blind spiritually. Because you see, all these blind leaders of the blind could not see Jesus the Messiah right in front of their eyeballs. So what does he do? He makes an appeal. Thou son of David is a reference to the Messiah. He saw him as the Messiah, not just the man from Nazareth. Okay, then he appealed to the character of God. When he cried out for mercy, he cried out for help. He knew the God that he served cared about the poor. He knew the God he served cared about the brokenhearted. Look at Psalm 34, verses 6 and verse 18. Verse 6, this, the poor, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Hallelujah. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. He knew that 
where these religious leaders, oh, they may have their law, but they had no reality with God. And he cried out, and guess what? He changed his destiny by his faith. Hallelujah. And I'm not just talking about healing. You could be out there going through different kind of situations and struggles in life. For example, it's not here but in your notes, but Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? <clears throat> he was short in stature. Not like me. Short in stature. And he climbed up a tree to see Jesus. He was a tax collector. Remember? A thief. But because he heard of Jesus, something moved in his heart. He wanted to draw nigh to him. And when he made that effort to use some bit of faith to draw nigh to Jesus, Jesus noticed it, called him down and says, I'm going to eat with you tonight. That man had a life-changing, a destiny-changing experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. It was so far-reaching into his heart. He said, I'm going to give back people what I took from them fourfold. I'm going to just give them more than I even need to give them back. That's how he was moved by the power of God. A destiny changer. Now there's other woman in Mark 5, 25 to 34. The woman with the issue of blood. We don't know her first name. We don't know her last name. She just misses blood issue. That's all we know about her. She was a certain, notice a certain woman. She uh, had an issue of blood 12 years. Spent all that she suffered many things, many physicians. But all that she had, she was nothing better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard of Jesus, she came in a press behind, touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing that virtue had gone out of him, power, virtue, power. What did he do? He turned about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? The disciples said to him, after you see the multitude throng to thee, why say so, who touched me? He looked around about to find her that had done such a thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, fell down before him, told all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith has changed your destiny, has made you whole. Go in peace and behold of thy plague. Brother, we need to hear this in church all the time. This is what church is all about. We're here to help people to rise up and recover and to go forth and not sit back and just accept what comes down the pike. Can you say amen? Okay, so let's run this bias again. Her destiny was chosen by circumstance, but her faith changed her destiny. She could have sat back and listened to all the other voices that were out there and said, don't you know? But she was not going to allow anything or anyone, any natural reasoning, any religious, uh, let's say, tradition to stop her from changing her destiny. You see, she's in her little college cottage somewhere. She's isolated from people. She can't mingle with crowds. She can't go to the synagogue. She cannot worship God. If she had a family and this happened after she had a family, she can't even be around them because she's considered unclean. She can't touch them. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But she heard, I'll tell you what, the greatest thing you could ever hear, she heard of Jesus. I'm talking about the Bible Jesus, the Jesus that saves and heals and delivers and sets free and makes whole. And she heard of Jesus. And when she heard of Jesus, she got herself together and she pulled herself up and she got herself out. And she said, I am not going to be concerned about who's out there in the crowd. I'm not going to cry unclean. I'm going to focus on the hem of his garment. I'm going to touch his clothes and when I do, I will be whole. And as Priscilla, as you said, she kept on saying, and she kept on saying, in the Amplified, she kept on saying, when I touch his garment, I will be healed. When I touch his garment, I will be whole. When I touch him, I'll tell you what, Jesus is touchable. We can touch him right here. We can touch him right now. And she said, I will be healed. Notice how powerful that statement is. I will. The greatest assertion you can make. I will be healed. I will be whole when I touch him. So when she got there, where the crowd was there, Man, she got on her knees and she crawled between their legs and she got to Jesus. She touched his garment. They were thronging him, yes. But when someone touched him in faith and power, dunamis, miracle working power flowed out of him, it got his attention in a heartbeat. Who touched me? Peter is probably the spokesperson for the disciples. Said, well, now, Lord, you see all these people around you touching. What do you mean? Because he always steps out of the boat. You know that about Peter. No, no, no. He said, someone made a demand upon my ability now she's fearing and she's trembling and she told him all the truth he said daughter your faith has changed your destiny go in peace and be whole of thy plague can you say amen she changed her destiny by her faith in a living savior and redeemer and healer and deliverer there are three reasons why we've got sickness and disease and evil that are in this world today and they're listed for you right there number one 
Satan imposing his will on mankind. Do you think that in the Garden of Eden when he appeared over there to Adam and Eve and Eve was over there and, and he, draw, he drew her attention over to the tree that she wasn't supposed to touch? You think he was over there to say, let's have a cup of tea together because I'm going to help you uh, impose God's will in your life. I don't think he was there to do that, do you? Whose will was he wanting to impose upon her and upon him? His will. And I'll show it to you. In the book of Luke, chapter 13, verse 16, this is the woman that was bowed over for all those years, 18 years. She could in no wise lift up herself. Jesus saw her, touched her, and released her and set her free and said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And then once that happened and she was instantly made whole, it was on the Sabbath day. And of course, because it was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they saw her, then the Pharisees, you know, all the religious folk, they cried out and they said, You should never do this on the Sabbath day. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. And of course, Jesus was very kind to them and said, You bunch of hypocrites. He said, you hypocrites, you loose your life cattle on a Sabbath day to feed them, water them, to clothe them. And if a sheep of yours falls into the ditch, what do you do? You pull them out. In other words, healing, he is saying, helping someone that is sick and in need is what? It is a rescue and it is a necessity. Water is a necessity even on a Sabbath day and a rescue is a necessity even if it's on a Sabbath day. And so ought not this woman, look at the verse in verse chapter 13, verse 16. Ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham... Whom Satan had bound these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Did you hear that? You see, we have evil in the world because Satan wants to impose his will on our lives. It could be in your body. It could be in your finances. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your children. It could be in, in social relationships, on your job, whatever it might be. We need to be constantly aware of the fact that we're in a spiritual warfare and Satan does not like it. I'm sorry to tell you, he doesn't like you. He doesn't like you. He doesn't. Hates you. Because you're made in the image of God. And you bear the name of Jesus Christ. So he wants to make life miserable for you. But I've got better news. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Can you say amen? Number two, because the natural, natural consequences of living in a fallen world. Look at John's Gospel chapter 9. We're living in a fallen world. Do we realize that this is not normal? We're in an abnormal society and climate. You realize that it is a fallen world that we're living in. Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now notice, this is once again... His circumstances chosen, right? Chose his destiny. From birth, his disciples asked him to show you the mentality of the age, back then the way they thought, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Notice they, they equate it with what? Sin. Who sinned, this man or his parents, he was born blind? See, they thought that that was, a cause, that was caused by sin. But Jesus answered and said, Neither is this man sin nor his parents. But that the work of works of God may be manifest in him. He goes on to say, I must work the works of him that sent me. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me. So in other words, he's not blind because he sinned. He's not blind because his parents sinned. He's blind because of the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. Beloved, and there are many consequences to what Adam and Eve did from the very beginning when they sinned. They opened up the door to sin, sickness, disease, death, mental anguish, a curse. Curse coming in, curse going out, curse in the city, curse in the field, curse in the basket, curse in the store. All the curses came upon mankind because of what they did, of the door that they opened. And, and that's, that means there's birth defects. And whether it's blindness, deafness, dumbness, maim, whether it's 20Q11 like attacked Andrew and his body when he was first born into this realm. Thank God faith can change a person's destiny. Oh, thank you. Jesus, faith can change a person's destiny. Can you say amen to that? It's just the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. But then thirdly, we could say the doors that are open. Why? Because of sinful choices. Look at John chapter 5. This is a man. He's at the pool of Bethesda. And every year, or at, the, at a certain season of the year, the, trouble, the water would be troubled by an angel. The first person to begin to the water, when it was troubled, he got healed. Well, this man... Is he's there like, so he's 38 years at least. We know that he's unable to walk. He's a cripple. He cannot walk. He's on a mat, etc., etc. So there he is lying there. And you have to remember this. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world at the Pool of Bethesda. Pool of Bethesda, Beth Bethesda means mercy. House of mercy. Well, guess what? At the house of mercy, someone with athlete's feet got in before he did. Someone with a hang, hangnail got in before he did. Someone, you know, if someone's blind, 
Can you imagine this house of mercy? They'll point you in another direction and say, yeah, the water's that way. House of mercy, right? So they could get in before the blind man. And the deaf man can't hear the tumbling of the water. And he was looking the other way. Someone will tell him, you know, it's not time yet and so on and so forth. But here's this man lying there and he says, Jesus sees him and he says, Wilt thou be made whole? And he said, I've got no man to put me into the water when the water's troubled, so it's impossible for me to ever be made whole. He said, take up your, rise, take up your bed and walk. He rises up, takes up his bed, he walks, and Jesus hides himself away. He goes into the temple, he's walking among the people, and they see him carrying his mat, and they say to him, it's not lawful for you to carry that mat, this is the Sabbath day, what are you doing carrying that mat? And what does the guy say? He said, well, the guy that healed me, he's the one that told me to do it. He said, who healed you? He goes, I don't know. Well, then he found out after, after a while, he said, it was Jesus. And so G, he finally goes back over to Jesus. And here's how he finds out. Because Jesus hunts him down. And when Jesus finds him, he says this. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, you're made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. Sin can open up the door to evil. Sin can open up the door to sickness. Sin can open the door to disease. Sin can stop the flow of divine power and prevent us from experiencing what God wants. So he goes and tells the, the leaders, it was Jesus. He's the one that did it for me. He's the one that made me home. He's the one that said, take up my bed. And guess what? It was a Sabbath day. And once again, they, that began to spew out of their mouth. It was a Sabbath day. You should never heal on a Sabbath day. And once again, he calls them hypocrites. Because, look, in the eyes of God, healing is a rescue. In the eyes of God, healing is a necessity. You give your livestock drink, even if it's on the Sabbath day. And you rescue your little lamb if they're going to die because they fell in the little ditch. And Jesus said, you ought to be healed because it's a rescue and because it's a necessity. And as far as the will of God is concerned, clearly seen on Calvary when Jesus bore our sickness and carried our pains. He made it possible for us to be healed no matter what the situation is. And trust me, we will all be challenged along the way. There are three attitudes now that exist among people with regard to everything that we're talking about here today. Three attitudes that exist. And what are they? Well, quesada, sada is attitude number one. Remember Doris Day? Anybody here remember Doris Day? You're going to date yourself. Raise your hand up high so you can... All right, I'm a good company. Quesada, sada, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Quesada, sada, right? Okay, whatever will be, will be. These are the whatever will beers. They sit back and just say, well, there's nothing that we can do. You know, whatever happens is in, in life. God is in control. God's in control of everything. So it doesn't matter what's going on. You just have to sit back and just realize that God is in control. If I hear that one more time, I think I'm going to explode. Because let me explain that. God is in control, you say. I just explain, explain to all of us that the earth was given to man. And what man did, God didn't stop because he legally gave him that authority. And he transferred that authority to the devil. And anyone that wants to follow that path can and whoever wants to follow the right path can. So God is not in control of everything that happens on earth. And let me explain. Was God responsible and in control at Columbine when all those children were killed? Was God in control in Las Vegas when all those people were mowed down like as if they were nobodies? Was God in control when the bomb went off in Boston uh, at the marathon there? Was God in control of that situation? Mm -mm. And what about Virginia Tech University when they were killed? Was God in control of that situation? Oh, do we really believe? Are we really duped into thinking and believing that God was in control of all these situations that have occurred? And this one I've saved for last because it's the most horrific. And to be honest with you, in, in my thinking right now, I, I can only, the, the, the guy that did this can only thank God I'm saved. The one that raped this 14-month-old baby? Oh, my was God in control of that? God's not in control of everything. Matter of fact, Jesus made that very clear when he drew a dividing line between what you and I should believe is of God and what you and I should believe is of the devil. In John 10.10, he says, the thief comes for to steal, kill, and destroy. If it steals, if it kills, if it destroys, it's from the kingdom of darkness and the devil. 
But Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. If it gives life, if it's good, if it blesses humanity, then that comes from God. That's the dividing line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm choosing to walk in the light and not in darkness. We're children of the light and not in the darkness. And that's why Jesus came to undo, outdo, and overdo all the works of the devil. That's what he came for. And so, no, God's not in control of every action that takes place here upon this earth. And if we just sit back like a case that all, that all person will, the woman with the issue of blood, she'd still be sitting there. Blind butter may still be begging at the, at the curb on the road. They didn't just sit back and say, They said, I'm going to change my destiny. I'm going to find Jesus and get a hold of him and change my destiny. Secondly, we also have quitters. Nothing can be done, so why even try? Mm, that's called being lazy. Resigning yourself to the fact that nothing can be done when something can be done. Something on the inside of us tells us that the enemy does not have the upper hand and we should not give up. We should not faint. We should not lose heart. Jesus said, if anything, pray. Why? So that you don't faint and that you don't lose heart. Don't be a quitter. One message I talked not too long ago was quitters, campers, and climbers. You don't want to quit. Just because it's tough, just because it seems like as though there's no way out, it may seem impossible. Look, the professionals may say it's impossible. Look, the religious folk may say it's impossible. Remember when they came to the promised land and they spat out the land of Canaan and they came back with a report and said, we can't do it. There's giants that are bigger than we are. There, there's, yes, there's a wonderful land there, but we can't do it. We can't, even the people that were the people of God said, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. And so they quit. They gave up and they refused to go forward. And what happened? They died in the wilderness. Because they were quitters. They would not go forward even though the enemy was already defeated. Then thirdly, what do we have? The fighters. The fighter uses force to change circumstances. And you know what? In my opinion, use everything you can. Go to a doctor and get the help that you need. Go to the financier, get the help that you need. Go to wherever you need to go to get help that you need. But first and foremost, put him at the top of the list. I'm going to you, Jesus, first and foremost, because only you are the one that can really meet my need. Thank God for all the professionals and all that they can do to help. We thank God for their, their education, all that they've been taught, all that they've learned, how they can help us and, and, and give us the best counsel, to give us the best advice. But they will even tell you themselves if they really are honest. I know we have professionals here today. Brother Hayward's back there, and he'd be the first one to tell you, God's the one that does the healing. They can help us along the way, but God is the one who does the healing. He's made the body to be healed, to heal itself, and he can help, with, whether it's medication or whatever it is that they could use, but ultimately, he is the ultimate healer. Can you say amen? So the fighter is the one that's going to use force. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he uses the force of faith. The fighter says, you're going to believe in what you're doing, whatever it is. I'm reaching out because I believe that I'm going to overcome. I'm going to be victorious. Now, here in 1 Timothy 6, 12, let's read first. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life, weren't you also called? And you professed a good profession before many witnesses. I think I've got a fresh anointing on me because I'm talking faster than I've been talking in a long period of time. It must be some fresh oil. That, uh, I don't know reservoir. I don't know what it is, but it's just been hitting me lately. It hit me in healing class as well on Friday. It just this wants us to continue. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, weren't you called? And profess a good profession or confess a good confession before many witnesses. Hold fast, Priscilla, your confession of faith without wavering. I know my body hurts. I know what the doctors are saying. I know what the reports say. But I'm going to say I believe I receive my healing. I believe I receive my healing. I, when I touch his garment, I'll be healed. When I touch his garment, I'll be whole. I realize that maybe studying might be a difficult thing for you trying to get through college to get yourself an education. But that's okay. You might think that I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. Let me tell you something right now. You can do all things through Christ who is your strength. He will give you wisdom and knowledge and insight and understanding. He will bring all things back to your remembrance by His Spirit to enable you to do what needs to be done. You might be saying, I've tried to get a job. I can't get a job. I can't find a job. Let me tell you something right now. He will make a way where there is no way if we just declare it. And speak forth the word of faith. Mark eleven twenty three says, If you believe in your heart that what you say with your mouth will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. 
It's a law. It's a principle. It's not just one of these things we try once in a while. You've got to believe in it and fight the good fight of faith because the enemy will fight you tooth and nail to stop you from saying it, to stop you from believing it, to stop you from doing it. Why? He has a destiny for you and a destination that you don't want. Can you say amen? All right. A professional case study was done to determine whether or not a fighting spirit could help defeat disease. Ten women had a fighting spirit. 24 were whatever will beers and five were quitters. The results, 24 whatever will beers all died. Four or five quitters died. Seven of the 10 fighters overcame. Seven of the 10 fighters, 70% of the fighters overcame. So just as I read that, that professional statement there, it's a whole lot better when the person's willing to fight and do on their part what it takes to rise up and overcome. Now, are you ready for some ammunition? And like I said, once again, I'm saying this, not just for people that need healed, but whatever it is that you might need that's out there, and I might need in my life as well, whatever we're going through, whatever's trying to stop us to have the right destiny and destination, we can rise up, praise God, and take a hold of the Word of God, find out what really meets your need, and proclaim it and declare it. But this morning, when it comes to being healthy and being whole and living out our days, look with me, some of these, what I call, ammunition. Some ammunition. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You ready to arm yourself? I mean, ready. Are you ready to arm yourself? Man, we need this. To everything, there is a season. Everybody say season. And a time to every purpose under heaven. So he's talking about a season and a time to every purpose. Am I correct? You know, when people take this out of context, well, you know, there's a time to be born and a time to die. It must be your time to die. Wrong. That is not what that said at all. So let's look at it again. You know, the Word of God is spirit. I'm sorry. The Word of God is spiritually discerned, not intellectually learned. It's spiritually discerned. So keep pouring over it with me and let's find out what it really says, okay? To everything, there was a season, he's talking about a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. So notice, he's talking about life and death. He's talking about sowing and reaping, right? Isn't that correct? Okay, and every season, there is a time and a purpose. Am I correct? Okay, um, I like to get a li uh, just a group of people. I'm going to put a list out there, if you wouldn't mind, joining together with me, because tomorrow morning I'm going to come here to the church, and we're going to dig up a little parcel of land, and we're going to plant tomatoes tomorrow. No takers? Why? Why? It's not the season. So therefore, it's not the time or the purpose. Okay, we'll wait until December. Is that better? January? February? March? Come on. End of May? End of May? Memorial Day? Any takers? Why? It's the season. Okay, once we plant those luscious tomatoes at the end of May, May 31st, we're going to plant these wonderful tomato plants. I want a group to sign the list, and we're going to meet together on June the 4th, and we're going to reap. We're going to pluck up all these ripe tomatoes. Any takers? No help? Why not? It's not the season. So when's the time to plant? spring. When's the time to pluck up what's planted? Fall, when they're ripe. When's the time to be born? Spring. When's the time to pluck up what's planted? Ripe old age. He's talking about time and season. So when it says there is a time to die means exactly what he said. There's a time to plant. That's in the springtime. There's a time to reap what's been planted. That's the fall when it's fully ripened. And so therefore, you could say at the beginning of my life is the time of my birth. At the end of my life, when I'm a ripe old age, how do I know that? Because Psalm 92 says in a ripe old age, you'll still bring forth fruit unto righteousness. 
So that in the mind of God is the time and the season for this purpose under the sun to be born and to die. Now you know as well as I do that doesn't always happen and people die prematurely every single day. Is that not correct? We understand that. But that doesn't take away the fact that God wants us to live out the full length of our days and fulfill our purpose. And I'm going to show you what. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 17. We need to hear this from our pulpit saints to help people. Be not over much wicked. Don't be so involved in wickedness and all that is foolish. Why should you die before your due season? Whoa. How come that's not preached? Why should you die before your time? So when someone says it must be your time to die, why? Because they've been challenged? That doesn't mean necessarily that it's their time to die. It means they've been challenged. We need to arm them. I need to be armed. You need to be armed with the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free. And say, you don't have to accept that as your destiny. You can change it with your faith along the way. And so praise God. Look at Psalm 55 and verse uh, 23, I believe it is. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Are we putting this together? Are you seeing this? So can one die before their time? Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that they've done evil just because you're attacked. Angel wasn't even born. Just born and he was attacked. And thank God his destiny has been changed by faith in the living God. Look at the next one, Psalm 118, uh, verse 17. Love this scripture. Say with me, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Why are we supposed to live? To declare the works of the Lord. When Paul was on the ship and he was going to die with all the people that were there, they got to the island of Melita, I believe it is. And when they got there, all the native people that were there, they said he must surely be a murderer because even though he escaped the sea, when he went down to put some wood in a fire, a venomous beast attached itself. He's going to die now by the poison that is in that snake, right? Okay. And they watched, and they watched, and they watched, and they watched, and they watched. And when he didn't fall over dead after shaking off of the, 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 the snake, he graduates from being a murderer to a god. He must be a god because the snake's venom had no power over him. And guess why he had to continue on going? Because the angel appeared to him and said to him, you got an appointment in Rome. You can't die out here in the sea. Well, the angel didn't have to appear to him out there on the, on the island by the, by the fire. He just snake and shake. Snake and shake. Right? A little snake and shake. Let's move on. Uh, I've got an appointment. I've got to go to Rome. Got to talk to Caesar. Snake, I'm sorry. Maybe not today. Another time. Imagine the calmness, ladies, if a snake would bite you. What would you be doing right now? <laughs> would you be hightailing it out there in a heartbeat? Like my wife did. We we're going to buy this house one day. There was a snake on the sidewalk going up. We saw the real estate lady that was there. She saw the real estate lady. The real estate lady saw her. She looked up her, looked down at the snake. She goes, we're done. I'm out of here. Goodbye. And she left. The lady says, we'll get the station. She goes, nah, no more. I've seen enough. I'm gone. I'm out of here. We'll not come back. We'll not buy that house. Okay. Where are we going with this? The point is that Paul was calm about it because he knew it's not my time to die. The, the ocean with all the, the storms. Mm -mm. The snake. Mm-mm. I got an appointment with Caesar. I've got to get to Rome. See, I've got an appointment. So that appointment I plan on keeping. It's a mentality that we've got to use and we've got to change. We've got to start seeing ourselves. You see, the way the scriptures truly show us. We're more than conquerors to him that loves us, no matter what the situation might be. And the greater one lives on the inside of us. Okay, look, let's close with this here one. No, two more. Jeremiah 30, verse 17. A wonderful, wonderful scripture to use in an arsenal to stand against sickness and disease and whatever attack of the enemy is, whether it's sickness or disease or, like I said, anything else in your life. 
I will restore health unto thee and heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom uh, no man seeketh after. I'll tell you what, you start seeking after the things of God and you, he identifies with and he sees you and he knows you. Let everybody else call you an outcast, but I'll tell you what, he sees you and he says, I'll restore health to you and heal you of all your wounds. And here's our closing verse. And here's what it's all about. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness by whose stripes ye not will be, you were healed by whose stripes you were healed. And just give me another moment. Can I have another moment? Because I think we have minimum. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really am not ashamed of it. And it's time that we start realizing some things, okay? This sacrifice on Calvary's cross has been minimized in the eyes of so many people because they refuse to believe a blessed truth that's been given to us in Scripture that is as clear as a bell. On that cross, Jesus had imparted to him the sin of the world. If you can even begin to imagine that. And when that sin entered into his being, Isaiah 52, verse, I think 17, somewhere around there, 16, what? 12, 13, in that section, it says his visage, his appearance was so marred more than any man. He did not look to appear human-like. And can you imagine these soldiers that kill people all the time by crucifixion? Can you imagine when he looked up and saw how disfigured, not from the beating, but when he became sin, he was so disfigured, he did not look like a human being. Imagine the sin of the world that was, is, and is to come. All the sin of all humanity was poured into the very life of Jesus Christ. He bore the brunt of the wrath of Almighty God on that tree. And yes, he was rip whipped with the Roman lictor. But Isaiah 53 says, Jehovah bruised him. Jehovah laid on him the iniquity of us all. That means there was an unleashing of everything. All the wrath of God, the punishment of God fell upon Jesus. And when he left his body, he descended into the bowels of the earth. And Psalm 88 says, in the bowels of the earth. And you can imagine this. This was prepared for Lucifer and his angels. Man will go there only because of the fact that man rebelled against God, which was not the intended purpose of God. But it says in, in Acts chapter 2, it says... Thou, he says, your soul was not left in hell, neither did your body see corruption. Thou will not leave your soul in hell, nor your body see corruption. This is unfathomable. But Jesus took the brunt of it all, and he took it to the place, the bowels of the earth, where he paid the ultimate price for man's separation from God. It had to take a new creation. And when he was in the bowels of the earth and suffered, someone says, well, wait a minute. I heard of one preacher say, but didn't he say it? It is finished on the cross? Yeah, he did. But what was finished on the cross? The Abrahamic covenant. The law of Moses. He said, I came to fulfill the law. That was finished on the cross. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if there's no resurrection from the dead, you're yet in your sins. Was Jesus arrived from the dead yet? No. No, he, he, he died on that cross. When he said it is finished, did he not give up the ghost at that point? Well, was it finished? No. You know why? Here's what had to happen. He was there in the bowels of the earth, suffering the fullness of the wrath of Almighty God upon his, his being as a human, as our substitute. You should have gone there. I should have gone there. But he went there as a human for you and for me. And in, in, in his human spirit, he took upon himself your wrath, your punishment, your sin. And when God the Father, for the, that period of time, as, as he told, remember Jonah, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He looked down, the Father God looked down over the banishers of heaven. You can read this in Acts chapter 13. And he looked down and he saw his son. It's Isaiah actually says, when he sees the travail, then he will know that he's justified many. He will raise him up at that time. And when he looked over and he saw the sufferings of Jesus and he said, that's enough. The claims of justice are satisfied. He called down and said, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And when he did, the glory of the father went down and pulled him up. 
Colossians says he's the first begotten from the dead. He arose, and then he, when he arose, he came back to the earth. Remember? Remember how he came back to the earth when he rose? And Mary came up to him and said to him, he said, she said, uh, she went to touch him, Rabona, Rabona, and he said, don't touch me, Mary. Don't touch me. The high priest cannot be defiled before he goes to the throne of Almighty God and offers up the blood of the sacrifice. He said, so don't touch me. I've got further business. You see, redemption is not complete yet. But then he rises up. And by the effort of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, the Spirit of God captured the blood of the Lamb, put it in a basin or a bowl, and gave it to Jesus. And Jesus arose up, and as he began to go toward the very throne of Almighty God, he got there to the gate where... Remember, Adam was banished from, he was kicked out of, and there were the flaming swords that were there to stop him from entering in. And I could only see those angels standing there, the cherubim and the seraphim saying, what gives you the right to come here before the throne of Almighty God? And he says, I carried me my blood that I shed for the human race. I'm coming by the blood of the Lamb. Mom, the blood of the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Step aside, boys, I've got work to finish. And he walks in, he takes his blood like the high priest. He begins to sprinkle on the Hebrew tents of the worship. He cleanses all that Adam's sin stain. And when he does, praise God, the Father says, It is done. Redemption is complete. Now go back and bring my people back to me. Go back and tell them that you're alive from the dead. Go back. Hallelujah. Oh, glory be to God. Give him praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, we praise you. We bless you. We exalt you. We magnify you. Hallelujah. 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 He redeemed us to God by His blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people and nation. Made us kings and priests before our God. And we shall reign with Him in all of the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With His stripes, we were healed. Oh, I'm telling you, out there just say, I got it now. Remember, I'm taking it now. Praise God. I'm taking my healing. With your stripes, I was healed. I am healed. I will say it till the cows come home. I will say it till my body lines up. With your stripes, I was healed. Hallelujah. I am delivered. I am set free. I am made whole. Oh, hallelujah, 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 glory, glory. No wonder he deserves our reverence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I opened the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.